To follow Jesus indicates that you are willing to accept His plans for self-denial and not be ashamed of Him anywhere at any time. Upon submitting to Christ, we must acknowledge that from that point forward, our life, our lifestyle, our mission is contrary to all that the world thinks about. Jesus never followed anyone else. He saw nothing in humanity but a lost society that needed to be saved. He knew that from the beginning, before we were created, and he came with that absolute and total mission to save us, to save us from the world, from the flesh, from the devil, to save us from ourselves day by day. And God calls us to perform two contrary acts simultaneously. Think about this. We are called to deny ourselves and not do what we feel led to do, but what God tells us to do. But at the same time, we are to be generous with others, forgiving and kind, even when they're not kind, even when, when, when they're cruel. That's tough to do. But if you choose to follow Christ, you, you must be a person that, that says, no, I'm not going to do what I want to do. When God calls, you need to respond and you need to be obedient. Even though it's tough. Even though it goes contrary to what you would feel like you would want to do. God knows what's best, always. There was a man on a business trip one day. And he was going home, and it would be Valentine's, and he wanted to take his wife a gift. So he stopped by a, a store as he was traveling and walked up to the perfume counter, and he said, I, I'd like to buy a bottle of perfume for my wife. And so the lady brought over a very beautiful bottle, and he sniffed it and said, how much is this? And she said, $160. He said, oh, oh, no, 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 no. Do you have something more reasonable than that? Well, she brought another bottle, the same perfume that was smaller, and she said, this is $85. He said, no, that's still too much. She goes back and gets another bottle, and it's $50, and he said, no, no, no. I need something, I need something cheap. Show me something cheap. And she reached around and held a mirror in front of his face. <laughs> I, and he got the picture. God does not expect us to be cheap in loving Him, in reaching out to the world, in being His ambassador in all that we do. We are to love lavishly, to care about people, be there when they need us, but also be there when they celebrate, be a part of their lives, because that's what God has given to us. He's given us the opportunity to speak for Him and to stand for Him in this world and to gather together the body of Christ. 500 more years ago, Martin Luther wrote, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. And I believe he was correct. One of my favorite theologians, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, wrote a book in 1937 entitled The Cost of Discipleship. What a wonderful book. If you've not read it, you need to. 
You need to read it and digest it because it, in such a very seminal way, defines what it means to be a follower of Christ. In that book, he said that cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, and absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without that discipleship, grace without anything that matters. And we've got to be a people that understands that we don't establish or determine what it means to walk with Christ. He does. Scripture is very plain about this. You, there's no confusing what he said. In fact, notice this, that in the passage that I read, Jesus spoke very plainly, and it's even stated that he, he was very plain and very to the point. Yet in the midst of that, Simon Peter, on the front of the argument, got it right. Thou art the Christ, the Messiah from God. But then on the other side of it, he got it all wrong. He became, as Jesus stated, literally the voice of Satan in what he said, rebuking the Messiah. And that's what many people will do. They'll read God's Word, they'll digest it, and then they'll make it fit in their way of thinking. And in the midst of doing that, what they do is they negate anything of God that they have. And that's why we have to be so very careful about our relationship with Him and how we represent Him to let our words be His words. Don't get confused when we are discussing this. The danger is that we may get the idea that salvation is something that we're earning, and it's not. This doesn't mean that you work for that. There's the possibility that we might somehow think that salvation or heaven is something you earn, but you don't. You cannot be good enough. You cannot do enough. That's not what it's about, and Scripture is plain about that. But what we are given is so powerful and so important. Here in Mark 8, I want you to understand this. The question is about the cost of living, eternal living. How do you move beyond this world? How do you prepare for something that's more than just a lifetime? In Scripture, a number of people came to Jesus and they said, What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Notice what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, Oh, not a thing. It's taken care of. I, I, that's settled. That's done. I, I've taken care of that for you already. No. While being saved is God's gift to us, there's clearly some action to be taken on our part. Because remember, we come not into a contractual agreement with Him, but into a relationship. We become a part of the family of God. And when you're a family member, things are expected of you. And it's important for family to always remember that. Jesus expects no more than radical obedience to Him. That obedience begins by your turning in His Word and understanding what He's saying. To not only read His Word, but to listen to Him. To not just pray and tell Him what's on your mind, but to listen to Him and let Him guide you in all things through His Holy Spirit. The cost of discipleship requires several things, and that's what I want to think about this morning. The, the first thing I think it requires is that we understand who Jesus is. One of the main goals of the gospel writers is to plainly tell us that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. 
He's the anointed one of God. He is here for a reason and a purpose in our lives. This is the great confession that, that Peter makes here, and it's so important. Until we realize that he is Christ, not just of the world, but of our lives, we don't fully understand who he is. Jesus was headed to Jerusalem to be crucified. Nothing was going to stop that. He saw that as the seminal act of giving to us salvation. But in the midst of that, he died and he rose again to give us victory over any problem we would have in life. Knowing this, that whatever we do, whatever experience we have in this life, that we have an eternal home in heaven. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a rather quiet and studious individual. He wrote powerful writings that, that moved the church in Germany. But when he stood and saw what Hitler was doing, he absolutely was frustrated because he said, Christianity cannot be pacifist. We cannot just sit back and allow other things to happen. We can acknowledge, yes, God brings leaders into bring a leader into power, but... If that leader goes contrary to everything God says, we have to act. Dietrich Bonhoeffer demonstrated his great price in the cost of discipleship when he attempted to end the suffering of the Jewish people and their possible annihilation when he attempted to blow up Hitler. It failed, unfortunately. And just before the, the soldiers, American soldiers, liberated uh, the camps, Dietrich Bonhoeffer died. He paid his price, and I don't believe he ever regretted it. And I believe that he was honored for that. But he understood, above all people, what it meant to sacrifice greatly. When Jesus was going there, a lot of people looked at him and wondered who he was. They thought, oh, this must be maybe John the Baptist or, or maybe this is Elijah or one of the prophets. Some people just didn't understand. This is the Messiah. This is the time. This is the reality. You know, someone can be sick for 20 or 30 years and go through many, many difficult times, valleys and mountains, and, and times of joy and health and times of fear that, that life is gone. And I've watched families who've gone through that for many years. And when death finally comes, it's always a shock. You're never prepared for that. There's a finality in death, humanly speaking, but not with God. We only see one side of what's going on. We don't see what is beyond there. The reality is we have to trust Him. And we have to know that, that in that great beyond, He has already prepared for us in a special way. That we close our eyes in this world and open them in the next. and It's more beautiful and wonderful than we could ever imagine. Ever. Ever. But also realize this, you must realize why he had to die. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus did for us what no one else could do for us. A person, they said, 
if they could live a perfect life and die a perfect death, would only save themselves. But Jesus went beyond that. Jesus suffered the death for every sin that would ever be committed by every person that would ever live. His goal was not just to get a remnant to heaven or get the elect into heaven, as, as you would d- describe the church, but he died to kill the sin nature, to take away what had destroyed creation there in the garden. When the door was opened and sin entered in, Jesus remade in his death and resurrection what will one day be paradise for us here on earth. Not just in heaven, but here on earth. Jesus will stand one day and proclaim as we find in Revelation, Behold, I make all things new. Realize that He doesn't restore. He remakes. And that is so beautiful and wonderful because without that, what would we do? Jesus didn't fit into anybody's mold. He was so different. As much as his cousin, John the Baptist, was an odd bird, Jesus was beyond that. Jesus would hang out with people that the the very religious leaders of his day wouldn't have ever condoned. But he understood who needed salvation. And I'll tell you something else he understood. He understood that self-righteousness was one of the most dangerous behaviors that a person can ever have. Because when you become self-righteous and indignant and look down your nose at other people, you have frozen off the doors of heaven to yourself by choice. You have decided that you are where you need to be. You don't need to be examined by the Holy Spirit by God. You've met the requirements. And that's why he didn't preach a whole lot to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He knew the coldness in their hearts, the indifference, the anger and bitterness they had because he didn't fit in their mold. But he reached out to those who were broken and needy, and he loved them. Don't ever try to force Jesus to fit into your mold. He won't do that. He was living his life on purpose to fulfill his purpose. He came to suffer. He came to die. He came to serve. He came to judge. And all these things are so significant. And yet people want to make him into an image that they're comfortable with. Jesus loved all people. Broken and sinful people. Wretched people. People that were considered untouchable and unclean. He reached out to them to demonstrate that he could take away any sin whatsoever. But I believe he also said to us this, pride and arrogance is the hardest sin to remove from a heart because people tend to hold on to it because it looks so much like God as they imagine him. I've always heard it said that the most dangerous thing in the world is not a bottle of strychnine. Not at all. You look at it, you read the outside, you see the skull and crossbones and the red warning, and you know to stay away from it. But take a small drop of that and put it 
and a glass of ice-cold lemonade on a hot day, you're a goner. And that's the way Satan feeds to us sin. Not all at once. He makes it desirable. He'll even discuss with us what it's about, as he did with Eve. But the reality is, we get hung up on things. Sometimes we want to tell God how to do things like Peter was telling him. But because Peter looked and said, you know, this just isn't fitting in my idea of who you are. Peter didn't realize truly who Jesus was. But lastly, realize this. We must find out where we fit into Jesus' life and his work. It's not enough just to give our heart and our life to him. We need to find out where we fit. He said two things that are so powerful. He said, number one, you need to learn to deny yourself. Now, it it didn't say deny yourself of something. This isn't like Lent where you say, oh, I'll, I'll give up eating rhubarb pie, you know, or stewed prunes. Those are easy ones. This says deny yourself. You suddenly are not on the front row. You are not in the middle of everything. You're not the center of your world. You deny yourself and do what He has called you to do. But beyond that, you take up your cross and follow Him daily. It's not something you can do once. It's something you must constantly do. You choose daily to be obedient to Him. You choose daily to to give up what you would desire and what you would want. You don't allow your actions or reactions or misactions to ever determine what's going on in your life. One of my favorite characters has always been Dennis the Menace. And I remember Dennis the Menace one time ran up the steps from the basement and he said, who will help me paint the, the floor of the basement? And his mom and dad just froze and said, why? And he said, well, I dropped a can of paint and I've started. Who will help me finish? A lot of us make decisions based on things like that. The accidents we have in life determine our destiny. That is not what God wants us to do. We've got to be willing to allow His Spirit to lead us, to be confessional, to admit that that we're weak and we make mistakes, to confess not only to Him, but to confess to one another. When's the last time a Christian came to you and, and confessed a sin in their life and ask you to be their accountability partner. That doesn't happen very often. But that's what he expected. That's what he demanded in our lives. You know, I've noticed lately there are a lot of colleges and church, even churches that that are ashamed of Jesus. They take the name of Jesus off of them. They, They remove Christian college or they remove the church of Jesus they want to make it a little more palatable and acceptable. I don't find that in my Bible. We should not go out and be ashamed of Jesus. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we need to boldly let people know that He loves them. Don't just tell them that that He loved you. Let them know that He loves them and He wants to have a relationship with them. And He wants to be able to guide them through life so they won't continue to drop buckets of pain on the floor. But their life can be determined by Him. And it can be a life that is blessed and bountiful. And one day, 
one that's secure in death. Dear people, the cost of discipleship is everything. But then again, what did Jesus give to redeem us? Everything. Be obedient and be happy. That is the simplest way to put it in this world today. Be obedient to Christ and be happy. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that your holy word strengthens us, but at times it hurts us because it stings with the truth of the gospel. It stings with the reality of our sin. It stings with the fact that it's not us and Jesus, but it's Jesus alone. That only through the Holy Spirit can we fulfill our destiny. That if we try to make the decisions, we will do nothing but damage and hurt. But only through you, Lord, can we be obedient and follow. Father, speak to someone today that in their heart of hearts, they want to accept Jesus as their Savior and Lord, but they've been afraid to. They put it off. They've said, I'll do it another day. Yet today is the day of salvation for someone. And I pray that they would be obedient even now. And Father, if there's someone that needs to come and pray at this altar or come and say, I want to become a member of the church. I want to be baptized and and be obedient. Lord, may they understand that as we sing this invitation hymn, the door is open for those decisions. And I pray that your spirit would guide and we would be willing to follow. For it's in your holy name we do pray. Amen.